Blog Talk Radio. Holy Spirit. 
that we may be able to do that which you have called us to do for this day. We thank you for these and many other blessings. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Again, welcome you to the broadcast today. We do pray that you guys had a wonderful experience, weekend, fulfilled weekend. It's fall weather, and I am loving it, absolutely loving it. Football weather, parade weather, it's just beautiful weather. I have no complaints, and I'm sure you don't either. Uh, there are a lot of people who are going through quite a bit of um, rain and things of the nature, but God is still praising. I'm quite excited that uh, we're in, going toward the end of the um, hurricane season. And, uh, you know, God is to be praised. We have not had any major storms come um, on land here in the in the States. They, we did have some. They came close to the eastern, uh, sea, eastern coast. Uh, but they didn't do really much. You know, it was a lot of rain, uh, but not enough, you know, not, not a lot of damage. And while we were celebrating the fifth year of Hurricane Katrina and uh, Hurricane Rita here in Louisiana and a Across the Gulf Coast, we were acknowledging and thanking God that, um, in the midst of an oil spill and in the midst of a uh, heavily predicted storm season, you know, we didn't get that much. So we're just glad they fizzled out over the ocean, most of them, and we're just excited about that. So I do hope you had a good weekend. And yes, it's football season, and I'm bragging about the Saints. We won. We won by. <laughs> <laughs> by the hair, by chinny chin chin, but we won. Uh, I'm saying we like I'm on the team, but you know a lot of football teams play some great football um, this weekend. I've been hearing a lot of jokes about LSU coach Miles Davis, uh, not Miles Davis, <laughs> uh, West Miles. Um, I, I don't, I, I didn't catch the the joke part of it, but. Uh, there's been a lot of commentary about some of the things he did, but they're still one against so. uh, I, I I have been reading a lot of news, and there's a lot of news to go uh, to go on, but one really caught my attention, and I want to share this with you. Um, oh, and last week, you probably heard in the news, um, um, Tyler Clemente, a freshman student at Ruggers University, uh, Ruggers, uh, committed suicide by jumping off a bridge in New York City, uh, George Washington Bridge. Now, according to the news report, his roommate, who suspected that he was homosexual or had homosexual, you know, was gay, basically set up a, a cam in the room and caught this young man having intimate relations with another man and had to know to stream it live on the Internet. I don't know how or what. But he streamed it live, you know, updated status, Facebook, and said, wow, my roommate is, you know, it was doing all that. You know, he put that on his status, updating all this kind of, tweeted it. And it bears the young man so much to the point that this young man, this freshman student, uh, jumped off the George Washington Bridge. Prosecutors say uh, they had live images of him having an intimate encounter and, uh, the young man, uh, Clemente, a promising violinist, uh, he was a promising violinist, when he jumped off the bridge into the Hudson River, his body was not discovered until three days later. Well, he jumped off the river. He jumped off the bridge three days later, and they identified his body. And uh, This weekend, they had vigils across the country, uh, and really at the at, at Rutgers, they had a vigil. But the reason I... I I, I, I bring that up is because, um, you know, the, the the availability of all this technology, you know, cameras on the phone, cameras on the, um, uh, you know, streaming internet and all these things that you can do now to, it, it's 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 dangerous and you know, young people are real well versed in this technology, and what the young man or the young man's roommate probably thought was just a simple college prank. Uh, had the adverse effect that caused the man to take his own life. And we're seeing that more and more with these young children, uh, particularly school-age children, who are committing suicide because of cyberbullying. And now you can't really say that that's an act of cyberbullying uh, per se, but uh, it did have that effect, that same effect. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are raising the aware, awareness of bullying 
in schools there. Now there were bullying. There's been bullying all around, you know, throughout the ages. There's always been a bully, and you you see the movies of the bullies, you know, getting on people, and then the underdog coming up and defeating the or standing up to the bully. Well, in reality, nine times out of ten, in reality, that doesn't happen. And uh, uh, we do need to pray for our children, and not just our children, but college students and all these things, especially with this spirit that's going around. And I don't, I don't know what kind of spirit it is, but I just know that it's a demonic spirit going throughout the world, and this spirit is is afflicting the minds of our young people, afflicting the minds of uh, uh, not just our young people, but adults as well, uh, because adults are it, it's. Well, what can I say? You know, there's 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 this epidemic that's really I I can't say you know it's sexting, it's cameraing, uh, 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 all kinds of things that people are doing now, and we just have to be careful about that, and we need to be uh, teach our children how to use technology and how not to let technology get the best of them, and how not to let technology uh, destroy their lives, as some people would uh, say that it is doing. It can be a good thing. I'm using it now. It can be a great thing, streaming technology, all that. But, you know, we need to be more cautious and more uh, preventative in our work, in our work as as believers and as as parents and that. So I just wanted to share that. I think it's a very sad story, and I, I do pray for the family and pray for not only the family but for for the you know the the ones who committed the act that led to the act uh, to the suicide. And I pray for them because you know uh, we we especially in college age you know you do a lot of stuff that's supposed to be fun and end up you know I think about when I was pledging my fraternity. How a lot of the things that the the guys was having us do, you know, hazing, uh, was was considered fun. And you know, I, in retrospect, yeah, it was fun. But then, you know, now in in some places, hazing leads to has led to death or has led to uh, serious accidents or, or all kinds of things. So I I don't know how I got all that, but uh, you just continue to pray for the children and pray for those um, involved in all of this. Now, here's a new story I really want to share with you. I thought this is just hilarious. Um, voters around the world complain about having clowns for politicians, right? Well, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, they took it a step further. They actually embraced the idea by sending a real clown to Congress. <laughs> yeah, uh, this clown, Francisco Everardo, um, I can't say his name. Uh it's Spanish. I'm not good at it. Uh, but his clown name is Tarika. Uh He received 1.3 million votes <laughs> to go to uh, Congress. That was more than double the votes that the second-place candidate received in the popular state. Now, this guy, this clown, caught the attention of disillusioned voters uh, when he asked about his support. He had this. This is his slogan: "said It can't get any worse." <laughs> And he made a promise to do nothing more in Congress than to report back to them how politicians spend their time. <laughs> oh, my God. OMG. I thought this was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and people voted him in. <laughs> and he won. He's in. And it's just funny. You know, this is election season. We have less than 30 days to our uh, to, um, midterm elections where – uh, and it is funny because, you know, the, the slogan of the Tea Party and the slogan of other people is vote the bombs out. And we're having we're having scandal after scandal after scandal, particularly with the black congressional congress here in the states. Um, they're, you know, they're having more ethic violation charges against them and Maxine Waters, Charlie Rango, and um, the other lady out of Texas and Several of them, several others are involved in scandals, and uh, <laughs> it's just funny, you know. I, I say, you know, you want to, you can vote the clowns in uh, or vote the bombs out. Either way, you're still not going to get everything that you want. But I want to encourage those of you who are listening to the broadcast: go out to the polls and vote. 
Uh, we had elections this Saturday here in Louisiana for several things, and lieutenant governor uh, and some state constitutional amendments. And when I asked my church members yesterday, did they go out to the vote? Out to vote, most of them had no idea that yesterday was the day to vote. And even though it's printed in our bulletins and all of that stuff, it's very important. And I, I say this. Uh, we have a black president because of a great turnout of voters, young and old, who were who felt disenfranchised and felt um, felt out of the loop, and they voted believing they were making a change. We, you know, we got the president, but the president just signs the law. If you really want change, you got to change the congressperson, your senators, and your uh, representatives. They're the ones who write the laws. And if you think the laws are bad, if you want things changed, well, you vote them out and vote in someone else. Um, and because the political scene is so ignited because of Tea Party and all these other things going on, you need to be an informed voter. Well, that's my rant for <laughs> That's my rant for today. But, again, we're glad to be on here. Uh, today we're going to be continuing our discussion on some of the current movements that are happening in Christian church. Last week we talked about some, and as I said before, there's some strange ones, controversial ones, some outright heretical ones. And so we want to delve into these these movements and get some more history and get some more insight into them and find out why, where they came from, why are they scriptural, or are they, all these kind of things. And it gets really interesting. Uh, as I've been doing my research, it's gotten very interesting. So, But we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back from this break, we will, um, we will go into the discussion. Everybody sit Hold on. 
All right, welcome back to Zero of the Day. I have got to learn how to start phasing, fading out some of this music sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm still learning, everybody. I'm still learning. Again, thank you for joining Zero today. We're again live on blogtalkradio.com. We're in the chat room, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, hit us on, uh, give us a ring on the line, 917-388-4293. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, hit us up at Twitter. Email us at ltnilcox.net. We're on Facebook. Uh, so however you want to send us a uh, let us know how we're doing on the show and be feel free to share your comments and insight and dialogue into the conversation today. Uh, we're getting back into our discussion on uh, contemporary church movements, and there are a lot. We just talked about mostly uh, some of mostly the Pentecostal movement because that's the most prominent movement of the 20th century. But there have been great movements throughout history, and it's nothing new. Uh, I mean, th- some of these things, some of this has been going on since the first century church. Uh, um, Literally since the you know the latter half of the first century, uh, the beginning of the fourth century, as uh, Christianity became the official uh, state religion of the Roman Empire uh, under Constantine the first, and you know all these things that began to that used to be banned now became public, and some got infused with pagan um, traditions. And now you know we have a conglomerate of different things that fall under the Christian umbrella. And you have to question yourself sometimes, and you have to be aware sometimes of what's going on. But um, uh, concerning American Christianity, more than like, uh, and more distinctly, concerning uh, American Christianity, our what we have come to know as uh, modern American Christianity stems from, uh, excuse me, religious movements of the 17th and 18th centuries. Uh, well, 18th and 19th centuries, uh, the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening in the letter, uh, late 1700s, where you had Jonathan Edwards and uh, George White, Whitefield preaching uh, in the in the fields, drawing great crowds, and uh, these fiery Reformed Calvinist preachers got people. Uh, they didn't have any tricks or trades or sideshows or anything. They just preached, and thousands of people got saved and converted. And then in, in the latter part of the uh, 1800s, the uh, early part, the latter part of the 1800s, you had another second uh, second Great Awakening. And you had evangelists like D.L. Moody. You had um, people like uh, um, uh, uh, the Campbells who uh, started the Restoration Movement, William Miller's group uh, that later became the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and things of that nature. And, and of course, uh, that kind of flowed into the beginning of the 20th century where you had the... Um, the first full, re, fully recognized Pentecostal movement uh, from the Azusa Street Mission Church uh, with Seymour uh, um, and in 1906 in Los Angeles, California. And it, what we've got, what we see now is pretty much a, a trickle-down effect, I guess you can say, of these movements because they all preached holiness, they they preached holiness, holiness and and return to God and those names under nature. We get our evangelical movement preached uh, to uh, come out of this, all kinds of things. But uh, concerning the Pentecostal movement, uh, it's so broad because it has it has diversified per se. It's infiltrated uh, mainline churches, and you got the charismatic movement of the late 1960s or the 60s. And, uh, 60s and 70s and early 80s that that um, you know where you had the Catholic charismatic movement, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church, and uh, even in the Methodist Church, uh, where people begin to embrace forms of Pentecostal, mostly speaking in tongues and um, uh, the spiritual gifts, uh, and and from there you get um, all kinds of things now, the full gospel movement, and, and in particular. Which taken there's a full gospel movement, full gospel Baptist movement that's taken uh, the country by storm, and it's uh, uh, it's leader Paul Borden is a is a wonderful man of God. I've got a chance to meet him, and as a matter of fact, I used to attend uh, Greater Saint Stephen in New Orleans when I was attending college at Dillard University. Uh, and um, in the early '90s, he he brought together a group of Baptists and who believed in uh, the same thing as. Um, um, Pentecostals speaking in tongues and various phenomena, spiritual phenomena, and you know had full gospel Baptist. 
and you know they established an ecclesiastical order per se. And it, <laughs> I've always joked about this. I say I don't understand it. Uh, Baptists are congregational churches, yet they can be led by a bishop. <laughs> uh, it's just one of those things. But um, you you have a a lot of these movements that come from. Uh, more primarily the Pentecostal movement and the Second Great Awakening uh, Restoration Movement. And I want to talk about, in particular, I want to talk about the Latter Rain, Dominion Now, uh, Kingdom Now movement uh, that's, uh, that has gotten more po- a lot of popularity. And you probably have never heard of this in these name this way uh, as far as Kingdom Now, uh, Dominionist, or Latter Rain, because... They don't call themselves by that word, but in this movement you have uh, what people are calling and saying is the restoration of the apostle and the prophet to uh, the Christian church. And these roles have a greater role than the pastor, teacher, and evangelist because those, the the prophet and apostle, are uh, dominion roles. In other words, they are established to, they were brought back to reestablish the kingdom of God. On earth, uh, and and they just by this, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So they're saying that the earth, uh, the apostles and prophets are called to restore the kingdom of God on the earth. And some people may not have a problem with that. Uh, in some ways, I do, and the reason I do is because, um, um, according to scripture. You know, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be teachers, and some to be pastors uh, for the building of the body, and not to um, not to build an empire. Some of these men and women who have professed themselves to be that have done. You know, the second thing. Now, when ask yourself this question: Does your pastor call himself or herself apostle, prophet? Or you know anything of that nature? Do they say they have fivefold ministry giftings or things of that nature? If they do, nine times out of ten, they may subscribe to this latter rain um, kingdom now dominion theology. They may not know it directly, but they may ascribe to it. And the reason they may ascribe to it is because they believe themselves to be one of those titles are one of those um, heir apparent to the move of Christ. And for those of us who are, uh, we're not quite, how can I say, we're not quite that far into um, this movement, but we understand and we, we understand and we see, or maybe we may have friends who are affiliated with those movements. Um, it's interesting to note because uh, what they preach is a radical theocracy theology. Well, what do you mean by a radical theocracy theology? What they basically preach is that they are called to uh, set up God's kingdom to rule, but they are emissaries of God while they're ruling. So it's not a true theocracy per se. Because if it were a true theocracy, they would not be. There's no need to do that. They they wouldn't be uh, establishing their own empires. Because uh, if God say, okay, I got it now, you guys can step aside. Most of them wouldn't want to relinquish control of their their churches. They want definitely wouldn't want to relinquish control of any uh, influential government positions that they may have. And this theology basically preaches that. Christians are supposed to take over the world, and in particular, in America, they're supposed to be ruling the government. Uh, In other words, if your pastor is an apostle, he's supposed to have his influence over all the the entire community, the entire city. You know, it's supposed to be under his authority uh, because he's representing Christ or, or her authority because he or she is representing Christ on the earth. And, um... You know, you've seen, uh, you see a lot of this. I remember in 19, uh, uh, Kenneth Copeland in the early 90s uh, was always prophesying that the, uh, that the Lord was going to see it, send, uh, he's going to raise up a, a Christian president. Uh, 
and his identity would basically was going to be a charismatic, tongue-talking, uh, word-of-faith-subscribing president. And uh, that was after Bill Clinton had been elected in, in the 90s. In 96, as a matter of fact, he made a public prophecy in 1996 concerning uh, the restoration of the kingdom, and that never happened. So you can deem Kenneth Copeland as a as a false prophet because what he prophesied never happened. Now you could you could say, well, George Bush came to office in 2000 and he openly professed being a born again Christian. So I guess you can say that he <laughs> maybe that prophecy was fulfilled. But um, hey, who knows? But as far as the identity of what we have considered to be, you know, what they consider to be a, a Christian prophet. Uh, president or leader, and there's 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 so many. Um, there there are those who uh, have gone to that to the extent um, as saying that, and not just telling their members to get involved with um, with political systems, but saying that if they um, basically uh, if, if they're not seeing if they if they believe there's any corruption in the government or if there's any crime in a city or anything of that nature. It's a direct result of uh, non-believers uh, being in government, and that if they want to see an end to all of that, then those non-believers need to be out, and Christian believers need to be in. Uh, not just Christian believers, but more particularly those Christians who are spiritually gifted that have those. Uh, Spiritual tenets should be the leaders, and uh, this goes way back to um, uh, what's that guy named Branham, uh, um, who began to preach these things and, and latter rain and all this, and it's trickled down. And so much now, uh, you see a lot of people who just put on their title: I'm apostle this, or I'm a prophet that. And they do not prophesy anything, but you know. <laughs> Uh, they can say good things that sound. They can say things that sound good, but they in and of themselves have no um, true pro- prophetic gifting. And I say it because I've I've come across a lot of people who say they prophesy things that have come to pass. And when you fully investigate some of those prophecies, I'm not talking about individual prophecies to people where they say something is going to happen. I'm talking about national events, international events, things of that nature where they, uh, some people have said they prophesied about Katrina, but later when you go back and review texts or tapes or anything like that, you find that they had no direct reference. Uh, it's some kind of vague thing. And I've heard people always say, you know, there's going to be a, a major tragedy or major earthquake or something like that. And, and, and the way we're going right now, anybody can say that because uh, in the past, within the first four months of the year, there were major earthquakes all around the world. So, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, most people, like I said, most people do not realize that their pastors uh, made ascribe to this kingdom now theology, uh, this dominion theology, um, and and they themselves may not understand it at all because they don't they don't see anything wrong um they think it that um the church is supposed to rule everything um the church is supposed to be Joel's army uh, uh, like some of them say um uh, that um they are supposed to we are supposed to be seeing these things happen the reality manifestation of the sons of god uh is what some people say. Uh, uh, the reality is that it is not us to manifest that. God does that. God does it in his own time. Christ even said he has no man knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is a prayer. But you can, dare, you can surely be able to see the, the signs that the Son of Man will be coming. And you don't need a prophet to do that. You don't need an apostle to do that. Scripture shows you exactly how you can accomplish that. You know, you just... Be aware of the signs. Use discernment. The other thing about uh, that, that the other trend with this theology, the, uh, this Christian movement, is that it has, um, it has brought up this sonship thing. Uh, uh, what, how can I put it? Uh, spiritual father, spiritual covering thing. Now, uh, I, I'm still trying to find this in Scripture where it talks about... Um, 
where it talks about um, spiritual spiritual covering and spiritual authority. Um, you know, you have a lot of pastors who are beginning to branch out independently, and you know, they come from under denominations or under they come from under other churches or whoever they were leading who was leading them and they've started their own thing and now they have spiritual children. Uh, <laughs> and mind you, I'm in, I, I've been in ministry. I, I do have a father in the ministry, I guess you could say, the the man who uh, I accepted my calling under. Of course, I was Baptist at the time. I accepted my calling under uh, who licensed me to preach and then I also have those who mentored me. I can, you know, as Paul said, you have... Uh, there, there are many people, but you don't have a lot of fathers, you know. And uh, but the thing about it is, is that um, there is no place in Scripture directly. And if if you if you know of it, please let me know because again, I I can't find it. And the scriptures people use to um, use to to support that are clearly, you know, they're used out of context. And, but there is no that I can directly. Uh, find where it talks about um, spiritual father, but there are many men and women today who claim to have many spiritual children, uh, and these children must claim allegiance to them. You know, they they uh, <laughs> I consider it like a pyramid scheme. They're at the top of the pyramid, and you know everybody sends the money up instead of the money coming down. But you send the money up, or you send the blessings up, and you know all this stuff. But this uh, this type of uh, things uh, is going on in this movement, and um, there's a there's another little thing that most uh, a lot of these people have taken up. Um, uh, uh, there's a story in the Bible about uh, Phineas. Uh, if you're familiar with Phineas, uh, was the one who went through the camp uh, when there was a plague in the camp. He went through and killed all those who were afflicted with the plague. We're never clear what the plague was, but uh, we know that there were so many people who had gotten killed uh, that went down. I think it was 23,000, 24,000 people that were killed by the sword to stop the plague from going throughout the uh, the rest of the camp. And a lot of them subscribed to, well, they're the spiritual authority that's nipping this in the bud. And they, they're taking on the role of Phineas, and they're taking on the role of the authority, and you know, if you don't line up, if you don't line up with them, you don't line up with their theology, or you don't line up in with what they believe is supposed to be going on in the church, then you are out of order and you must be slain. <laughs> but uh, that's another thing. We're going to take another quick break, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the emergent church. And this is going to be proven interesting to a lot of you that I'm quite sure uh, you're going to enjoy So we'll take a quick break And when we get back We'll talk more about uh, The Emerging Church Thank you. 
there was a lot of discontentment in the Southern Baptist Church. And the Southern Baptist Convention uh, was struggling to maintain some type of um, identity. And you had a lot of who were progressive. You had some that were ultra-starch conservative. And those are the ones who were also ultra-starch starch Republicans, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but there were there was movements within this uh, particular denomination where some were embracing um, charismatic giftings and things of the nature, and others were uh, were embracing more liberal theologies, and some were just outright uh, frustrated with the. Uh, bigotry or whatever you want to call it with the Southern Baptist Convention, and also in any other tr- uh, church traditions, uh, primarily in the Reformed Church, where you had a lot of these Reformed uh, churches uh, and Presbyterian, uh, the pastors were discontent with the uh, constraints of theology and orthodoxy. So they began to create things that were what 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 can be called seeker-friendly services where. They do just about anything to get the people in. Uh, yes, yes, they they would do something anything, and they they would embrace postmodern thought into the church. And matter of fact, they they're considered a postmodern church. Uh, uh, they're simplistic in their worship. They're simplistic in their outreach. They're simplistic in everything. And sometimes they don't even include the cross. They don't include the preaching of the gospel. Some of them are far far away and. Some are, you know, they 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 are orthodox Christians. They just try to get past all the other crap, all the other things that um, has enveloped the Christian church. Uh, what is, let me read you some things here. Uh, emerging churches, they're found uh, throughout the globe, but predominantly here in North America. And the key things of the emerging church are couched in the language of reform. This praxis-oriented styles. They're post-evangelical in their thought, and they uh, they have a uh, incorporation of social theories and narrative theology and uh, all kinds of things. Uh, primary, uh, I guess you can say they are um, redactive criticisms, uh, critics, uh, critiquers when it comes to the scripture. They break it down to its bare bones, and from there they go. And they, you know, they preach or they teach or they do whatever. Some uh, more contemplative uh, communities where you basically go and you're just you know, almost monastic in their ways, you know. Communal living, they live together, they eat together, they uh, pray together just as if they were in a monastery without the monastery. And then there's, you know, it's, it's a broad movement. But what catches my interest is... is um, uh, some, they're, they're buried in theology, and a lot, a, a great portion of the emerging church uh, has gone to the point of almost totally renouncing um, um, the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Key, uh, key, key tenets of the Christian faith they have um, renounced, but some still adhere to Trinitarian uh, viewpoints and things of that nature, but they're postmodern mostly in the way they view the church and the way they view uh, the world. Well, what do you mean by postmodern? And and postmodern is just, uh, how can I put it? Postmodern in its simplest form is uh, the rejection of objective truth. It's um, saying that everything is relative, everything is a cultural narrative. In other words, the whole world is conformed together by one train, uh, chain of thought, uh, one stream of thought, one stream of consciousness. It does have some New Age tendencies to it, but basically, uh, it basically says there is no absolute truth. No one can know absolute truth. And even Christianity in its form of absolutes cannot fully ascertain the absolute. And um, 
So basically, you know, it, it's almost saying there's more than one way to get to God, and there's more than one way to interpret Scripture, and there's one more than one way to apply Scripture, and you can embrace all kinds of other teachings, religions, and all things of that nature, and still profess yourself as a Christian. Because if the world is is along one stream of thought, then you can practice that and still be a Christian. Now, the unique thing about this uh, this movement is that uh, it, it's, it's moving fast and it's uh, being embraced quickly by younger Christians. And you can imagine why, with especially more now in light of controversies and uh, the falling of ministers and things of that nature, uh, and young people questioning everything, every authority figure, everything that you know. You know me being a classroom teacher, that I, I'm called, I'm always hearing. Well, why is this? Well, is that because you say so, or is it that because it's somebody else say so, or is it that way because it's been done this way for so many years? And you know, when you, they begin to question that, and from those questions, practices begin. Okay, so we do this form of of worship, this liturgy. This way, because it was performed out of this, you know, it came from the Catholic Church, it came from the Presbyterian Church, and it's no longer relevant to my initial experience as a Christian believer. So why should I practice it? And you find that more and more in in churches, uh, as 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 people become less constrained and confined to denominations, and as pastors became become the same, less confined and constrained to the denominations, you find more of a, of a questioning of authority. Uh, even as people call themselves bishops and apostles and prophets and, you know, they say, don't question my authority, on the flip side, you have more questioning the authority of established religion, especially established Christianity, that is causing a rift in the hearts and minds of young people, and they just like, well, uh, why, why, why we do this? And in light of a lot of the um, the bigotry and a lot of the um, the hatred that has been spread through Christianity, uh, even in this recent century, some people say, "Well, I don't need to practice this because it is not the Christianity of Christ. It's not the Christianity of love, and so forth and so on." But the emerging church. Um, the emerging church is, is is modern. It's modern in, in that it reflects the ideas of contemporary thought, young people in particular. Um, and while it's possible for people uh, to describe in, in different ways, um, it it, it um, they have the same same view. Now, hermeneutically, it's a whole different thing. They basically they're going to interpret the scripture as they see fit. It's quite subjective, quite relative, and they encourage those who follow the movement to do the same. Uh, don't just settle for what you see. And matter of fact, they they don't view the church as an institution, but they view they view it as a fraternity. They view it as a group. They view it as a fellowship of people. Um, and um, you know, when you see it that way, there's they they disavow the strict organization. And to some degree, that's a good thing. And to some degree, it isn't. What, what we need to be realized is that is that um, God moves. God moves in ways that we can't always understand, and there have been times where God has moved, and we've adapted that movement into an organization, and God has never moved that way again. Yet we continue to put forth that movement as a as, as, as an altar to the reflection of what God did. And you know, you read that in the New Testament. I mean, in the Old Testament, quite a bit when God moved somewhere. Or God did something miraculously, or God did something for deliverance on behalf of His people. They would build an altar at the place where it happened, and they would worship there, even though the movement or the thing never happened again. But they and they continue to worship there and continue to alter, uh, 
offered sacrifices there uh, because that was, is where God moved. And we see that happening now in the church. In the modern church, we're seeing where God took authentic movements to stir up the people's faith, to cause the people to go forth and draw near to him with hearts of sincerity and hearts of joy and hearts of repentance, where when he does that, people build altars, people establish movements, people establish leaders to reflect the movement, and the movement then becomes the alternative for God himself. And that's what we're seeing. Matter of fact, uh, last week I was on a discussion with a pastor friend of mine, and the question was, where's the glory? Uh, has the glory left the house? And uh, we, we let some people tell it, you know, they shout every Sunday at church, and they always see God do something, but they can never articulate it because it's never authenticated. It's never, uh, you know, it's something that they know should happen. They know it's supposed to happen, but they don't quite understand why it's happening. Uh, they know people are supposed to come to the altar. They know people are supposed to have various spiritual experiences, but they don't understand why, and they just expect to see it every Sunday, but it's the same people having the same pro- problems, having the same um, spiritual experiences every week, week in, week out, and there is no authentic move of God. So I believe what we're looking for today is is a relevant, authentic movement of God, and people are trying to create that in various ways. And when he did it, with uh, the Great Awakening, it was based on the preaching of the gospel. When he did it with the um, Azusa, uh, it was based on the preaching of the gospel. When he does it now, anything he does now, it would be based around the preaching of the gospel. It won't be based on what me, or my my ministry, or anybody else does. It would be solely, it would come directly from the preaching of the gospel. And we don't need any tricks or any... Um, we don't need any tricks. We don't need anything to bribe people or to con people to come. We just simply must put forth the gospel as it is. It does enough. And when we do that, we will see moves of God that cannot be explained. We will see moves of God that are authentic and will actually cause people to convert and be saved and cause people to uh, come to Christ, which is what we want to do. Listen, I'm glad that you guys joined in with me. Make sure you join in weekly, Mondays at 10 o'clock, or as the Lord allows us to do so. Uh, we're going to wrap up this this segment of Zero Today, but we're glad that you took the time to join in with us, and we look forward to another day, that um, another time where we'll be able to share this glorious ministry of Christ with you. Until then, make sure you join us Monday at 10 o'clock here, Live Talk Radio, calling you, you listen to our live show.